As kids, our superheroes were strong and invincible and uh, bullets bounced off of them and they could leap over tall buildings and swim underwater for long periods of time and see through walls. They had all of these really cool superpowers, but we saw our superheroes as invincible and always strong uh, in the way that some of us, especially guys, when we were boys, the way we saw our dads, right? We saw our dads as strong and invincible and and uh, that's why we argued about whose dad could beat up who else's dad, which is kind of violent conversation for boys. But we, we had them. We all, we all had that conversation. Uh, thus far in our story, as we're studying Elijah, he's been strong and invincible and, and powerful and courageous and, and uh, as if he could make no mistakes. Uh, sort of superhuman almost. He's, he's confronted an evil king He's prayed that the rain would stop, and the rain stopped. Uh, he, he healed a, a widow's son, brought him back to life. He called down fire from heaven in a competition with the prophets of Baal. Like Everything he did worked. It was all great, and it was all powerful, and it was courageous. And, and he's just been sort of otherworldly in his ability to, to do the right thing. And then we get to 1 Kings Chapter 19, it's about a quarter of the way through the Bible if you're reading along in, in your version. 1 Kings 19, and the Bible says, Now Ahab, that was the evil king, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow... I do, make, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now, Jezebel has kind of been in the shadows so far. We mentioned her back in the first, the first message. Uh, she's the queen. She's an evil queen. Uh, she's a wicked woman. We still use the term Jezebel to, to talk about evil, evil women. Uh, she, she is responsible largely for the nation of Israel turning away to a false god named Baal. And so she's created all of these problems for the nation and for God's people. She finds out that Elijah is responsible for the death of all the prophets of Baal. Remember that whole Mount Carmel fire and, and the, the battle that took place afterwards? All of that's happened. Ahab goes back and says, you're not going to believe what happened. Elijah wiped all of our prophets out. And so Jezebel sends a, a note to Elijah and says, I'm going to kill you, basically. And, and we know this is no idle threat because she has killed the prophets of God. That's why Obadiah hid them in caves because she's been very successful at killing the prophets of God. But this is Elijah. This isn't any prophet of God. This is the man. This is the invincible, the strong Elijah. So Elijah gets this message, and the next verse, verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid. This is the first time Elijah's been afraid in the whole story. It's the, it's the first time that he's shown weakness, a moment of insecurity. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, which means he ran a long way, he was determined to get as far away from this woman as he could. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. 
while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Anybody ever said that? I have had enough. I am done. I can't take it anymore. I've tried to do the right thing. I've been working hard. I go to church. And the hits just keep on coming in my life. Not one bad thing, but bad thing after bad, negative after negative. I don't deserve this. I have had enough. And if you have ever said that, if you have ever thought that, if you've ever said something like that, you're like Elijah. Now, I've been telling you that from the beginning of this series. Right? James, the brother of Jesus in the New Testament, says, Elijah was a person just like you. And for the first two weeks, we thought, no, he's not anything like me. Like, I, I, don't, I can't do what he did. I can't pray for rain and it'll stop and call down fire from heaven. I don't really see myself as the same as Elijah. But today, when Elijah says, I have had enough, I think some of us go, that's me. Oh, yeah, I'm just like Elijah when he says, I have had enough. He goes on, I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. I've had enough. I'm done. I'm spent. We all feel that way sometimes. It wasn't because Elijah had done anything wrong. It wasn't necessarily a measure of his commitment level or even his faithfulness. There wasn't some big sin in his life that caused Elijah to be so discouraged at this particular point. Yes, he's the one who called down fire from heaven. Yes, he's the one who prayed for rain and it stopped and then prayed for rain and it rained. He's the one who did all of those wonderful things and we get to 1 Kings 19 and he's afraid. And he's discouraged. And he's insecure. Here's the thing about courage. Courage in the past doesn't make us immune to fear in the future. I think sometimes it helps. I think sometimes when we take bold steps of faith, when we're courageous as we walk with the Lord, that gives us an experience to draw on. We can look back on that and say, Boy, I, I lived for God, I took a stand for God, I was courageous for God, and I remember how that worked. That can, that can give us some foundation for the next courageous step. We just, we just need to remember that just because I was courageous in the past doesn't make me immune from fear or insecurity or weakness or discouragement or even depression. Um, the interesting thing about Elijah's story is it wasn't even some big failure in his life that led to his discouragement. You see, discouragement is just as likely to come after success as it is after failure. That's what we see in Elijah's life. The biggest moment he had ever had was 1 Kings 18. Fire from heaven, defeated the prophets of Baal, 
prayed that rain would come back and rain came back. The most successful moment personally, spiritually, as a leader, as a, in his role as a prophet, the highest moment of his life was in 1 Kings 18 and in 1 Kings 19. He's discouraged. He's fearful. I mean, we, we understand that failure can cause us to be discouraged. I think that makes sense to most of us. We wanted to accomplish something and we came up short. We wanted something to happen and it didn't happen. We had worked and worked and worked and planned and planned and then it all fell apart. And, and, and our mind begins to attack us. Like our thoughts begin to pursue us with thoughts such as, well, you're a failure and now everybody knows it. You're embarrassed. You're wondering, will I ever succeed at anything ever again? So, so yes, failure can lead to discouragement. But in Elijah's case, we see that success led to discouragement. Sometimes you have great moments. You have wonderful success, wonderful accomplishments. And on the back end of that accomplishment, there is the feeling of, what next? And I, all I've been thinking about is getting this done. And now it's done and I don't know where I'm going next. That adrenaline that drove you to accomplish the fill-in-the-blank, whatever it was for you, the adrenaline that drove you to accomplish that big thing that everybody celebrated and everybody said you were great, it, it, it's gone. You wake up the next day and you think, okay, what, now what do I do? The problems with failure and success is, is not the failure or success. It's when my identity gets tied to that failure or success. I didn't just fail at this thing. I view myself now as a failure. I think I'm going to fail at everything. Or I had hoped this success would make me feel valuable or needed. I hope this success would make me feel successful. And I get on the back end of that success and I realize it didn't fill up all those spots. Or I have the fear of now that I had that huge success, people are going to expect it again. Like, how do I top that? How do I replay that? How do I build up all of that excitement? Again, failure or success, either one can lead to discouragement. Or if we're just being honest, you know, for that matter, Discouragement is just as likely to come on a random Tuesday as it is after success or failure. Discouragement is a lot like grief. Maybe it is a part of grief, but it's a lot like grief in that it doesn't even need a reason to settle in in our mind. Some of, some of us know what that's like. like. It's just, I don't know. It's just there. There's a cloud. There's a heaviness. There's a darkness. Discouragement and depression never ask for permission. Have you, known, have you noticed that? They never go, hey, would Wednesday be good for me to discourage you? Is it okay if I make you feel insecure Thursday about 2.30? They never ask for permission. They just show up in our life. They just start pulling at our thoughts. Elijah was a person just like us. And yeah, he prayed, but yeah, he got discouraged too. And discouragement is depression. It's It's complex. We're becoming more and more comfortable talking about emotional struggles and, and mental struggles. We're, we're becoming more and more comfortable with accepting that these are real things. These really do impact us, and we need to deal with them 
quickly and, and, and successfully and, and, and efficiently. They are complex. And we, we feel that. Elijah is feeling that. Maybe even some of you have had thoughts beyond just discouragement, beyond just depression. Elijah did too. If you notice, he said at one point, would you just take my life? He's, he's saying, God, I, I'm done. I, I don't want to go on living. I, I don't want to see tomorrow. I, I don't even want to be alive anymore. People today have that thought sometimes. Maybe you. Maybe there have been times that thought has entered into your mind. And, and I want to tell you, everybody should take that seriously. Everybody should pay attention when that happens, either to you or to somebody that you care about. We want to pay attention to that. If that's you, if that's you now, if that's ever you, at some point in the future, we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. We want to connect you with a professional that can help kind of walk you through that, help, help you maneuver through dark times in your life. It, it's not something to write off. It's not something to say, well, this will just go away. Maybe, but there comes a point at which it doesn't just go away, and we need help. As I mentioned, discouragement is, is complex, and I don't want to overly simplify it this morning, but as we read this story, I think there are four areas that can contribute to discouragement, contribute to depression, perhaps. These aren't the only four, and this isn't a step-by-step -step progression. As I said, grief, insecurity, fear, uh, discouragement, very complex. But as we're drawing things out of this story, there are four areas we should pay attention to when we feel discouragement in our life. Verse 5, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5. Then Elijah lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Interesting, Elijah's going through this time of fear, grief, discouragement, depression. An angel shows up in his life, and the angel does not say, I cannot believe you're so discouraged. I mean, after everything God has done for you, you have seen miracles of God. You should be grateful. I cannot believe you are depressed. The angel doesn't say that. God does not say that to us. God understands our frailty physically, emotionally, spiritually. God understands our weaknesses. So the angel shows up in his life, and his first encouragement is, you need to eat something. You need to take care of yourself. Elijah's wiped out. He's depleted. He's been serving God. By the way, even good things can deplete us. Even godly things can wear us out. The angel shows up and says, look, you're exhausted. 
And maybe there are some other things that we need to deal with. Maybe there are some other things that God wants to say to you, but you're not going to hear those things until you get some rest and until you take care of yourself. We all know it intuitively that how we feel physically affects how we are emotionally. Our physical health impacts our emotional health. What happens when you start to get hungry? You start to get irritable. Right? That's, why we, that, that's why we made up the word hangry, right? That's why Snickers has a whole series of commercials that say you're not yourself when you're hungry. Because the things that are happening in us physically weigh on us emotionally when we're tired. When we've been running for a long time with little sleep. It affects not just how we treat each other, it affects how we feel. It, it affects how we process things. And the angel of the Lord very practically says to Elijah, you need to sleep, you need to eat, then you need to go back to sleep, then you need to eat, and then you need to go back to sleep until you get stronger. You've been expending your energy in good things, godly things, eternal things, but you're worn out. Sometimes the most godly thing we can do is take a nap. The most spiritual thing we can do is take a nap. Five times in three verses, you can go back and check, five times in, in three verses, we read that Elijah took a nap. Now he went to sleep. And yes, there's other things that need to be taken care of. But I think God knows we can't get to those other things when you're this exhausted. The physical area is one of the areas we have to look at when we're discouraged. Another thing from this, this part of Elijah's life. Discouragement is rarely a quick fix. Depression certainly is rarely a quick fix. We see that Elijah travels. He has this encounter with the angel. Tells him to eat and sleep and eat and sleep. Then he travels 250 miles. He travels 40 days and 40 nights. And he's still not out of the woods. He's still struggling at the end of 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't just snap out of it. Which is always helpful, isn't it? When you build up the courage to... To let somebody know that you're struggling. And their response is, you just need to snap out of it. That's so helpful. And by helpful, I mean not helpful at all. It's not helpful. Don't you think I would snap out of it if I could snap out of it? And yes, there are things we should do and there's steps we should take and responsibilities we should take. And we'll talk about some of those. The cloud lifting from our discouragement is rarely a snap out of it sort of thing. I realize there's a spectrum of discouragement or even depression. There's a spectrum of having a bad day. We all have a bad day, getting up on the wrong side of the bed. I've had a cold for a few days, so I just I don't feel myself. I don't feel good. It's been raining for a week, and so I'm, I don't feel good. I mean, there's that. And yeah, I mean, we're probably going to pass in and out of that pretty quickly. But then there's all along the spectrum struggles and fears and insecurities and weaknesses and discouragement that 
You don't just snap out of. In a day, or sometimes in a week, or sometimes in a month. Um, think of it this way. For, for Elijah, coming back to himself was a process, not a point in time. It's a process. This is going to take a little while. It's not going to be this day. Thursday, two weeks from now, and it's all going to be gone. It's going to be a process over time. The story goes on. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah after this 40-day journey. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. What are you doing here? Now, the Bible is full of these sort of diagnostic questions, self-assessment questions. God does it throughout the Old Testament. Jesus, when He's on earth in the Gospels, He's frequently asking self-assessment questions. And self-assessment questions are always for me to look at me. The angel says to Elijah, what are you doing here? In other words, take stock of where you are right now. Is this where you want to stay is this where you want to be forever? What are you doing here? And, and I think part of the angel's question at this point is to remind Elijah, yeah, we've taken care of some of the physical things. We've taken care of the fact that you needed to sleep. You need to eat better. You need to take care of yourself. We've taken care of that. Now, let's not stop there because you're not all the way back yet. Let's, let's not stop. I think in the, in the process of battling discouragement, it, it, we sometimes get stuck. We, we sometimes get stuck coming out from under the cloud. We, we take a few steps and we think, all right, I'm just going to keep taking those steps again. I'm just going to keep taking. And that, that's not a bad thing. It's just that there may be other steps to take. See, rest is not an end in itself. We need rest. We, we need margin in our lives. We we need space in our calendar. We can't go all of the time. God created the Sabbath. We need Sabbath in our life. We need rest in our life. But we rest because there's more that God is going to call us to participate in. We, we rest because there's more that God wants to accomplish in our life. And if we aren't careful, we'll get stuck there. Or we'll get stuck at some other stage in the, in the recovery process from discouragement. Verse 10. Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Four areas to consider in discouragement. Physical is one. Am I taking care of my body? Am I eating right? Am I getting rest? Is that affecting what I'm thinking? Second area is relational. What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, I'm all alone. I mean, there's, there's nobody else. I'm the only one trying to serve God. I'm the only one trying to do what's right. I'm all by myself. Relational. There's, there's, there's nobody else here. Now, here's the other thing to know about discouragement is that it, it twists our perspective. The reality is we know he wasn't the only one. We met Obadiah last week in chapter 18. We know that Obadiah has hidden a hundred other prophets of God. There are other people. But when you're discouraged, it, it impacts your perspective. And so it can feel like I'm the only one. 
Nobody cares. Nobody sees me. Nobody loves me. Nobody notices me. I am the only one, and I'm trying to save the world, and I'm trying to do these great things, and nobody's helping. I am the only one, and rarely is that the case. It feels like that's the case when you're discouraged. It feels like you're the only one when you're depressed. Um, loneliness is a two-way street, and I, and I want to cover both sides of the street. Uh, one side of the street is because loneliness impacts us the way that it does, you and I should be aware when people around us begin to pull away. And we should notice. We should, a flag should go up. When somebody either we're close to or, or, or we're, we're acquainted with, they're in our circle, and we notice they've just started isolating themselves. They've started pulling away. Like as, as extensions of God's love and grace in the lives of the people around us, you and I need to reach out to those people because we don't know if anybody else is reaching out to them. That's usually our, th- our thought is, well, I'm sure they have somebody talking to them. Well, I'm sure they're talking to somebody. And maybe they are, but there's a chance that they're not. And when we sense relationally somebody's pulling away, somebody's isolating themselves, we have some responsibility to reach towards them at the same time, kind of the other side of the street. When we feel the way Elijah does... When we are discouraged and we feel like there's nobody else and I'm the only one, we need to find the strength to reach out as well. When we're in those times, probably most of us want somebody to come to us, come rescue me or come talk to me. Rescue is the wrong word. Come talk to me. Come, come let me know that you care. We want somebody to come to us and sometimes that happens and I wish it happened all the time. It doesn't always happen. So there are times as we're battling discouragement, we need to reach towards somebody and say, hey, can can we talk? Can we go have coffee? Can we have lunch? I I just need to talk to somebody. If you remember back in verse 3, we read that Elijah left his servant before he went on this long journey. Before he started running away, the very first thing he did was isolate himself so he didn't have anybody around him. We can have that tendency, and that doesn't help us. It isn't healthy. So, yes, reach toward those who seem to be pulling away, but if, if you're the one feeling discouraged, reach towards somebody else. Uh, I, I know that church isn't perfect. I know. I've been in it my whole life. Church isn't perfect. Community groups aren't perfect. Serving teams aren't perfect. I get it. But this is the reason you'll hear us say over and over again, hey, be faithful. Be here on Sunday when you're in town. Get in a community group. Get to know some other people. Get on a serving team so you get to know other people so that you'll know you're not alone. There are other people. And maybe when you're going through a difficult time, other people are going through a difficult time too. And you're going to have somebody that will know and will relate to you and will care for you. That's why we encourage you. Don't just kind of float in on Sunday morning and float out. Don't just sit by yourself and then get to the car as quickly as you can. We need relationships in our life. We need to be connected 
to people. The angel comes back in verse 13. Ask the same diagnostic question. Why are you here, Elijah? In other words, let's keep moving forward. Elijah gives the same answer. I'm all alone. Nobody loves me. I think I'll eat some worms. That whole, that whole thing. He's, he's still struggling to come out of it. And the angel says, well, God, God wants to remind you that you're not alone. Physical can lead to discouragement. Relational can lead to discouragement. Spiritual issues can lead to discouragement. He takes Elijah up to a mountain. And he says, God's going to come by. God's going to pass by. And you stay here until he does. So the first thing that happens is this huge wind begins to blow and rocks are exploded by this wind that's so strong. And the Bible says that wasn't God. God wasn't in the wind. And then an earthquake happens. Rattles the whole mountain. It's loud, disturbing. And the Bible says that wasn't God either. And then fire comes. The Bible says that wasn't God either. Then we read. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Strong wind, earthquake, fire. But when Elijah heard the gentle whisper, he knew that's God. Yeah, I think, I think Elijah had forgotten what the voice of the Lord sounded like a little bit. I think he had plenty of wind and fire and earthquake in his life. He'd forgotten what that gentle voice of God's love sounded like. We can be guilty of the same thing. We, we fill up our lives with fire and earthquake and, and wind and noise and rattle, big and loud, drowning out everything else. And because of that, we, we don't hear that gentle whisper of God. That gentle whisper that reminds us you're loved. Even where you are, even in the discouragement that you're facing. That gentle whisper that says you are not your success or your failure. You're not your ups and your downs. You're a child of God and you're valued infinitely by the God that created you. That gentle whisper that says you're never going to be alone. It's going to feel like you're alone sometimes. Your perspective is going to be that you're alone sometimes. You're going to get discouraged sometimes and you're going to think you're alone sometimes. You're never alone. Like what, what some of us need this morning is not a pastor to yell at us. And we don't need earthquakes or fire or wind. We need to get still. We need to get quiet. So that God can remind us we're loved. We're accepted. We're valued. Finally. The Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as a prophet. Now, Elijah's not out of the woods yet. 
Elijah's still dealing with discouragement. But there's physical, relational, spiritual, and the last one that God addresses with Elijah is purpose. God says, Elijah, you're at the point now, you got to get back in there. You, you got to plug back in. You, you got to do the things that God's called you to do. And I know you're not all the way out of the woods, you don't completely feel like it. And you're not completely out from under the dark cloud. But you got to go back and start doing what God's called you to do. You got to start obeying again. You got to walk with God again. If we wait, when we go through these seasons of discouragement or isolation or insecurity or fear, we go through those seasons. If we wait until we're all the way out to start doing what God originally called us to do, we'll never do that thing. If we wait till the cloud's completely gone, my discouragement, my depression is completely lifted before I'm going to re-engage, we will never re-engage. That's why God comes to him and says, look, I know you're only part way out of this. I know you're not all the way out of the woods let's get back to what you're supposed to be doing. Getting back for Elijah meant getting started. Getting back to himself. Getting back to who God had called him to be. It meant at some point, I got to get started again. I got to plug in again. I got to start doing the things I'm supposed to do. Sometimes we look at life and we say, I have had enough. And I get it. I look at life and say that sometimes too. Sometimes we look at life and we feel overwhelmed and we feel alone. We feel like we're not seen and we're not known. But at some point, the gentle whisper of God is, let's get back in there. Let's get going again. If you're a parent and you have never said, I have had enough, I question your qualifications to be a parent. Come on, parenting is hard. And there are difficult seasons. And there are times that you feel overwhelmed. And then there's the, the whisper of God. Come on, you got to get back in there. You got to be mom. You got to be dad. You got to do this. You can't check out. You got to get started again. Living for God in your office, in your family, on your campus. Sometimes it gets lonely. And you think, am I making any difference? I am tired. I have had enough. And God understands. This is a beautiful thing about God. He knows our weaknesses. He knows we're frail. He knows we're going to get tired. And so he comes along and he says, like, eat, sleep, reach out and connect, listen for my voice. But at some point, you got to get going again. I mentioned churches aren't perfect. Our church isn't perfect. We've all had bad experiences in churches because it's made of people. That's the way churches are. And we can be distant sometimes when we go through that. We can say, all right, I'm going to guard myself. I'm going to step back. I'm telling you, there's going to come a point in your life where God's going to say, no, I, I created you to do kingdom ministry. Get back in there. Come on, get back in. Go. God tells Elijah, at the end of the story, he says, I have 7,000 people who have not bowed down to Baal. You are not alone. 
And I have a plan, so get going. And I think God says that to us sometimes. I have a plan. You're not alone. So get going. Keep moving. Keep taking the next step. Don't stay where you are when you're discouraged. Let's pray. Like all of us face fear and insecurity and and discouragement throughout our life. We're going to pass in and out of of valley seasons. And and sometimes we're going to know why. Sometimes it'll be after some big moment in our life or some failure or or, or some uh, unexpected turn or some disappointment. And, And sometimes it'll just be because we're human. And our minds have weaknesses and our emotions have weaknesses and the chemicals in our body have weaknesses. You're not alone. God has a plan. Take the steps as He guides us, but know that He is with us. I I, I love the line where the angel says to Elijah, this journey is too much for you. And it is. Apart from God, this journey is too much for us. Life is too much. It's too hard sometimes. But we're not alone. And the the one with ultimate strength and power is with us and inside of us. God, I pray across this room, as there are certainly people discouraged, for any number of reasons. There's a cloud over their life. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're not faithful. It doesn't necessarily mean they're not committed. It doesn't necessarily mean they've sinned. It's just there. I pray that as we sing this song, I I pray they'd hear the gentle whisper of the God that made them. That they would hear you say, I love you. I'm with you. I have a plan. I love you. I'm with you. I have a plan. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.